Hey, Book Club Gang. This episode and the episode you will hear next week were pre-recorded on March 6th. That was even before our Modern Prometheus episode from last week came out. Obviously, at that time, we didn't mention any of the current events going on in the world today. We're going to be catching up with our listener feedback soon. I hope all of y'all are doing well and taking care of each other. And I hope this episode provides you some distraction and enjoyment for your week. And if you're looking for things to do, I really wanted to mention our good friend, book club member, and artist extraordinaire, Ross Radke. Ross currently has a Kickstarter going on for his kaiju comic, Stomped. It looks really awesome. You gotta go check this thing out over at Kickstarter and back his comic if you can. There are some great rewards available, and they're very affordable. Ross was going to be promoting his comic at Emerald City Comic Con, which is now postponed. So give that a look-see and help him out if you can. Again, take care of yourselves out there. We're all in this together. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Danielle. I'm Matt Strackbine. And I am not Matt Strackbine, despite, <laughs> you know, theories to this. It's Mark Twiddell! Awesome! Yeah. We've we, got everybody on the show yes, this week! Yes! I can't believe it! finally happened! It's amazing! <laughs> How's it going, Matt? I feel like I'm officially meeting Mark. Aww! <laughs> right, Mark? Because we've talked online a lot, but not... Yeah, it's surreal, you know, but good. Friendship. Yes. Yes. That is, that is awesome. Yes. All the friendships are coming together. All right. So we finally did it. We've got this all great. five people on the podcast. Let's call somebody else in and just see how many people we can get in talking okay. over each other. It's just going to be a random person. We're going to dial numbers until <laughs> we get somebody. Jamie Class. Well, Jerry Turnbull. Danielle's mom? Yeah. Oh, my mom. Yeah. I got my mom on here. <laughs> Go call your mom. Get her on here. My mom here. That's awesome. This is an all Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy stories. You guys know that. So I'm just going to move along because we've got a lot to discuss today. And so we're just going to go ahead and get on with it. <laughs> and we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I didn't let you do your thing. Because he wanna... looked at me when he said that. You can do your thing. No, go ahead. No, no. Tell them all about no, it, Danielle. That's fine. The friendship. <laughs> there you go. Back to you, John. Thank you. <laughs> and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. Read a story. We talk about it. You hate them guys us. And it's a book club. Get out. We had some feedback on Hellboy in Hell, the Hounds of Pluto. Hylonymous on Twitter said about the red thread in Slavic folklore, tying a red thread around someone's wrist serves as a protection against diseases, evil spirits, witches, and witchcraft, but most importantly, against the so-called evil eye. Okay. Yeah, thank All you, right. Hylonymous. That was because we talked about that red thread with right. Hellboy in Hell and Abe Sapien. And Hylonymous also said my delivery on that Polish toast was amazing. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. That's great. Oh, man. We finally pronounced this something correctly. This is the first correctly. time for everything, yeah. I guess. And that's cool. very appropriate because we've been enjoying the Hellboy beers this week. Yes. yes. And actually, this uh, today we're all trying the Blood Queen beer. All right. And we had some feedback from Ross Radke regarding the Exorcist of Vorse. Ross Radke. Book club member. He said, I read this for the first time as well. I've been working my way through the Hellboy and Hell Library edition with you damn guys, and it was really hard not to skip ahead. 
I really like the overall storyline of Hellboy in Hell, but I do feel like we got cheated out of some Asian and Norse parts of Hell that Mignola had teased in interviews. I'm still hoping Mignola does more screw-on-head weird stuff. Oh, yeah. Mignola said in several interviews that he intended Hellboy to wander around Hell for much longer, more like 15 to 18 issues. And I remember him specifically referencing stories set in Norse and Chinese-inspired parts of Hell. Do you remember any of that, Mark? Yeah, uh, early on he was teasing um, going through all kinds of places. At one point he was even talking about like possibly including a map, and like I, I immediately was like thinking, oh my god, maybe we'll finally get this like double page spread from Mignola. I don't know why, but for some reason I've always wanted to to see you know a Hellboy in Hell double page spread, which never happened. I oh, know, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I know that this is it wouldn't be the original vision, but I wonder. Would he ever be interested in going back and giving us little one-shots of that? Sure. Like Hellboy and Hell one-shots of other, you know, culture, hell yeah. stuff. Like, that would still be cool. I would still read that. See, I was wondering the same thing. They keep coming out with, like, uh, like the Beast of Varga. Yeah. Fit into a certain spot yeah. and everything. You know, maybe there's, like, slots. I would still read you can that, slot yeah. In. Right. Honestly, I feel like between issues five and six, they could just stick a whole bunch of stories with like Hellboy going around with skeletons and stuff. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> that would be awesome. It's like, you know, before they rocked up in that bar with those two skeletons, he went on a bunch of adventures with them. With those two what? Yes, yeah. the skeletons, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fucking with Silly you. me and my weird pronunciation. No, no, go no, on. No, Danielle wants you to say skeletons, yeah. <laughs> uh, any thoughts yeah. on that, Matt? Well, look, I mean, I'll always take more Hellboy in Hell, yeah. and that's how Hellboy's been from the start, is you don't know what year the next uh-huh. issue's going to take place in. Right. right. So, yeah, absolutely, they could do it, and I'm into it. That would be awesome. They just go tell yeah. Mike Mignola, hey... Why don't you just draw this real fast? Yeah. He's busy, man. We're just like, <laughs> you know what I'd like to see? And he's just like, sure. Okay, I'll just do that real quick. You know, there was that interview recently where he said he's interested in doing more comics. And there was a thread about it on Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook, which is a great group. If you're not on yeah. there, we've talked about it so many times. Jerry Turnbull. But somebody had commented, oh, I want him to see more Batman. I want him to do more Batman. And Mignola <laughs> commented to that. And he said, no. No. Yeah, oh. man. <laughs> he said he's, slap. <laughs> he said he's done with Batman. So. Um, you know what? Like, out of all the things that man could be doing, that is by far, I'm so sorry, one of the least interesting ideas sure. yeah. to come up with, like, it has been been done. Yeah. There's so much Batman. Can we get something else? Let's get so yeah, else. I would yeah. love yeah. to. I agree with that. I, I totally agree. I mean, he he's done it. He's moved he's got on. so many great original characters. He might even have new ideas. Yeah. So yeah, I don't hey, need I another mean, Batman story from him. It was good, look, but I don't need another one. Find a new gear and do it all. I'm done <laughs> messing around. I want Batman, Hellboy. I want him doing Lobster Johnson. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I but, would love, I would love yeah. a Mignola I Lobster totally, Johnson story. I checked my expectations with Mignola years ago because it's worth the wait and yeah, you're going to yeah. wait. Yeah. And you you just don't know what kind of scheduling is going to pertain to which series. Right. So you just have to kind of like enjoy it when you get it and that's that's part of what makes it so fun absolutely i have zero expectations but if this guy wants to put something out i absolutely will look at it because yeah it's always awesome so we had some feedback also on bprd hell on earth nowhere nothing never ryan yule said i feel like from this point forward we're speeding towards the end 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Ryan Yule. <laughs> book club member. Sad book club member. <laughs> and Jerry Turnbull said, regarding the novels, of all the novels, The Lost Army and The Bones of Giants are must-reads. The Odd Job series is also very good reading. And David Jacoy said, I love Snyder. He should be a regular. I feel like he is kind of a regular. He's come back yeah. a bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. It feels like he drops in every, like, you know... Two or three years, right? Yeah, he's in. He's in all the omnibuses at least like once or twice, I think. Yeah. Well, and he was. Didn't he do Baltimore? Am I wrong about that? I uh, know that was um, Peter Bouting and Stenbeck. Yes, yeah. and Stenbeck. Yeah. This okay. This is what we wanted to be able to tap into Mark Tweedale's yes. mind palace whenever <laughs> we want. <laughs> yes. Finally, <laughs> regarding. That weird Twin Peaks flashback scene, Aristelium said, I thought this scene was so cool. I love seeing everyone's past lives in a literal round table. Yes. Yeah, nice. I didn't think about that. What a great, yeah, what a great detail. It's great. When I posted that scene of Johan releasing himself from the ectoplasm, remember we talked about that yeah. beautiful scene by Snyder where it's like yeah. paste and it's all silent? G. Gungadi said, BPRD can be so hauntingly beautiful. Every character is so achingly tragic, simultaneously blessed and cursed with fantastic abilities. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think that all the characters have like a dark side or they have like a, it's delved into like a dark part of their personality or something, which is really interesting. Jason Abaddon said, I think Nichols' big problem with Johan using Enos' body as a hus compared to the Russian team is that Nichols is highly religious Mm. and the Russians would have been brought up probably atheist culture and so we have seen Nichols like reference all this like you know scripture in the past okay. and so maybe that kind of rubbed him the wrong way that's a good point Jason Abaddon yeah book club member I mean that does make a lot of sense you know? yeah and he also said you guys were talking about Liz having a purpose and taking charge of her situation and all but for most of her life she's totally ran away from it she drank and smoked and committed herself to mental institutions. She quit the bureau and split a bunch of times, too. Johan has been dealing with his nightmare situation for something like 10 years, and it's only now really starting to wear on him. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like it's been wearing on him this whole time. He's never really dealt with it very well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah I think I've said before, like, um, he's one of those people who I think as a person he was not very good at reading people's emotions, but he was always able to get by by, you know, using his ectoplasm to read yeah. people that way. Uh-huh. And it kind of compensated for that. Right. And it's one of those things, like, when he's inside that suit, that ectoplasm's locked up with him, and it's just, it's another barrier that he's just not used to. And it's, yeah. He's just not very emotionally literate. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to think about, and, and I like the ways that the writers are exploring that. You know, it's not just... Hey, I got a new look now. Right. There's like, you know, a purpose to this within the story and and it's it serves a purpose. Yeah. Like emotionally speaking like you're saying we get to kind of explore all of that and we get those moments, those kind of darker moments out of that. Yeah, and like I think about him, you know, now that he's in the sledgehammer armor and we'll talk about this more. But it's like, it's so weird the way that he talks. Uh-huh, yeah. The, the you know, the previous inhabit inhabitants of the sledgehammer armor have just been like soldiers. But then when Johan's in it, and he's and the way he has a very specific way of talking. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about it more, but I just, it's interesting seeing that come out of the sledgehammer armor. Yeah. He's in this big bulky thing, but then he still has this kind of like, mm-hmm. 
I don't know how to describe it. It's like very... The writers have been very consistent yeah. with his affectation. Yes, yes, sure. everything. Yeah. yeah, I think it is a good point too that you made, Danielle, about the each suit isn't just a change in a suit. It brings out some new aspect of the character. Yeah, you know, like um, how the Russian suit brought out this tiredness in him, but this ability to dream. He felt like he had knuckles and all this, and then like you know, you can see in um the Vril suit, it's got another evolution on top of that. Right. Um, it's always. Interesting to see how it changes him. Yeah, we we get to explore more parts of the character that way. And I think that's such a, yet again, such a, just an, another difference between these stories and there are some quote unquote more mainstream stories where it's like, hey, I got a new outfit now. It's right, just kind right. of a flashy like, we'll sell some issues. Mm. Like it's, there's oh, yeah. no real, it doesn't really matter to me. Like it does, well, I don't especially, care. Especially because they always go back to the old outfit. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just so like, I got new pants. Yeah. I'm a, No, but you know. that's such an important point because we don't really see him go back. I mean, he went back to the bubble suit, but that was only because. But it had a it really available. cool fucking reason. Yeah, there was a reason. There yeah. was a, in the, st- it was so important to the story and it was so interesting and so yeah. fascinating and so like, oh, I wonder what would happen if this and how would that affect this character? It has an impact on these people. I think of them as people. Like yeah. I think of them. It's not just a throwaway thing. Like it has an impact, and that's why we're doing this. It's a <laughs> no I'm kidding. <laughs> well, it's just like they they don't. It's like they don't really wear costumes. They wear clothing, or sometimes they have to wear uniforms in the BPRD. Sure, yeah. And it's just like they're not like. I mean. I don't wear the same goddamn shirt every day. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Just every other day. No. <laughs> Regarding Ross Radke's feedback from last week, we had some feedback from Mark Tweedell. Remember we were ah, asking about um, yeah. what you would hide your soul in. Okay. And so, Mark, you said a spider inside an... What is this? That's an echidna. Echidna. A ki- echidna. Knuckles the echidna? You don't know this word? Oh, Knuckles, Knuckles from Knuckles is Sonic. an echidna, okay, yeah. Okay. A spider inside an echidna inside a drop bear. Aww. Okay. So what is a what is a drop bear? They have bear? such weird animals over there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So a drop bear is basically like a really murderous version of a koala. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Aren't koalas? It'll rip your face off. <laughs> no, koalas cool. are super sleepy. So I figure, you know, if you put an echidna inside a drop bear, it's going to be an extra angry drop bear. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and if you have a uh, redback spider inside an echidna, you know, like it's, it's basically oh, like, there's no one getting that soul. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty well protected. Do you so, know why it's called a drop bear? It's because they like dropped out. Oh, I'm looking at pictures of drop bear on my phone. <laughs> oh my God. It's just like a monster koala. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, because I did think about this a little bit. And so I was thinking a uh, frog inside a toucan inside a wolf. Aww. That's my that, that's my version of that. What about you, Matt? Did you have any chance to think on that? Yeah, inside a cupcake, <laughs> inside a donut, <laughs> inside a banana, inside of a monkey, inside of a quarter in my wife's pocket. <laughs> that's really good. I love that. All right, so I thought of another one because you guys didn't really care for mine last week. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so I'm gonna, it's very nursery rhyme. Uh, a cricket inside a wombat, inside a platypus, inside Aww. a dog, inside of a camel. 
There you go. <laughs> a lot of Australian animals over yeah. here. That's super cute. What about you? Do you have anything? Uh, mine's birds all the way down. Okay. <laughs> just bigger, uh-huh. just different bigger sized birds. Bigger and bigger yeah. birds. You'd have like an emu and then an ostrich and then a... Yeah. Okay. And then like some dinosaurs. Some dinosaur bird. There you go. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Shoe bill in there somewhere. <laughs> All right, excellent. And so now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about the first part of BPRD Hell on Earth End of Days. This is a five-issue arc, and we're going to be discussing issues one through three today. These were published from September to November 2015 as BPRD Hell on Earth issues 135 to 137. And we normally do five issues in one episode, but there was so much in these issues. And then having Matt and Mark on, we just thought it would be best to start breaking up some of these stories since we're really getting into... One thing that I noticed as I was doing my notes for this issue is that there's not a lot of research. It's just story. It's Mm. mostly story just being propelled forward, you know? So um, there's so much to talk about. So we thought that we would split these episodes up. Written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Lawrence Campbell, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. The covers are also by Lawrence Campbell, and issue 135 also featured two variants, one by Mignola and a New York City Comic Con exclusive cover by Lawrence Campbell featuring McWerther from the ON Society the in the uh, in his suit or whatever. And we'll okay. see those yeah, when we get to um, the sketchbook. Hey, Go ahead. Katie O'Brien sent me that New York City Comic Con variant nice oh wow like randomly showed up in the mail one day hey i got a comment for you i'm reading the wikipedia article for drop bear it's a fucking fake animal it's not a real animal (laughs) it says Uh, it's a fake animal we don't know you could make up any animal and tell us it's from australia and i would believe you it's a fucking hoax it's like a (laughs) snipe or whatever that's just basically like, to believe. It's like what if a koala was real mean and vicious but they don't really exist I, i think it's just one of those things where people just don't want to wake up to the reality of drop pairs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a apparently contemporary. It's it's it it's categorized as contemporary Australian folklore mm, is what it's been categorized. Nice. Okay, okay. It's awesome. They should work one into a Hellboy story. I can't believe he got us with this. <laughs> Apparently, uh, let's see here. Similar to the jackalope, tourists are the main targets of such stories. Is it anything like a were raccoon? Yeah, I guess oh, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I talked about last week. Man, you had me. I was like, is there really a vicious koala bear going on? Oh, well, my gosh. I thought they were such docile little sweet babies. But, yeah, apparently this is a uh, well, let's well, fool the Americans moment. Well, I mean, if it's inside of a mythical creature, that makes it That's harder super for somebody cute. to find yeah. yourself. There you, there you go. go. Yeah, yeah. That was adorable, though. Good job. I love, I love finding out about drop bears. That was awesome. Anyway, I say I love this cover. Yeah, let's talk about this chapter one cover, and we'll talk about the variant covers later. But this one cover, it just has the Ogdruja hat on it. Yeah, it's super good. And Lawrence Campbell just makes it look so menacing. And just seeing this cover, you're like, oh shit, shit's about to go down. Well, I love the colors here. I mean, this is if you like really look at the colors, those are those are brilliant. They did some serious promos for this series. Oh, really? Yeah, Mark, do you remember the promotional stuff that said the impossible will happen? Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember seeing those images and, oh, man. Yeah, they just put it all on the table. 
Yeah, they released the, the trade cover pretty early with that sort of stuff on it. In advance of the series coming out, they had it as a poster. Yeah, yeah. and it had like the black flame on it and stuff like that, and it just said the impossible mm. will happen. Yeah. We should talk about what we think that means later. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know if I can. I need to finish Cometh the Hour before I can discuss that. Oh, okay. Mm. Right. We might have to come back to that later. I guess this just means we'll have to have everybody back on for that episode, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) We open in Argent, Kansas. I believe this is a fictional city, although I found some connections to an Argent company in Kansas City. And there is also an Argent corporation that was actually a front for some crime families. Anyway, I don't know how that's related to this, but I just wanted to talk about that detail. We get this typical scene of someone minimizing a serious concern. Uh. We see this woman, she's got a baby there, and she's like, what are we supposed to do, never go outside again? My baby's going to be as normal as possible. It's a beautiful day out there, and I refuse to waste it. I'll see you for dinner. And so we see her going outside, and that's when we reveal that we're in Argent, Kansas. And so, and then nothing happens in this scene. So you're like, oh, oh this is not, man. this is not bode the well for these people. The very next fucking page is well, just a zoom in on the fucking. Well, I mean, she's not the only one outside. Like on that uh, no, fourth but... panel, there's like, um, yeah, there's like a bunch of people on the sidewalk. But yeah, it doesn't bode well. Honestly, I'd be one of these people. I'd be like, I'm going outside in my garden. No one's gonna <laughs> stop me. Right. And so we cut over to space, and we see the Audra Jihad floating there. Seven is their number. Evil winds they are, the evil breath that heraldeth the baneful storm. Seven gods, seven demons of oppression. Seven dragons with glittering scales. Away be cast all chains. One of them is open. Yeah, and so we see Uh. as we zoom in, it kind of turns. The camera kind of turns a little bit to see that one of them is open and empty. Yeah. Yeah, that's just fucking creepy to see. And so this has been coming for a while, right? Because we saw Rasputin crack the shell of the Agra Jihad way back in Seat of Destruction. And then the Black Flame cracked it even further at the end of Reign of the Black Flame. I think that this right here could easily be what they meant by the impossible will happen. Yeah. The Agra Jihad. Because it's just not... I mean, they've talked about it enough. We keep seeing right? this thing yeah. over yeah. and over and yeah. hearing about it. So when did this comic come out? Was it uh, 2015? So this is like a 20-year buildup yeah, for this man. to happen. Yeah, for I mean, real. talk about a slow burn. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Those uh, seeds of destruction finally sprout. <laughs> right. Wow. And they made tomatoes. Look at that. Yeah, and so we cut over and we see this tomato and we like kind of zoom in out of it and we see Liz. Remember, she's yeah. been learning how to garden. So she's like, hey, come to mama. Yes. I love that. <laughs> well, I think I, if I know anything about uh, that is she's probably like, oh, wow, the birds didn't get this one. Cool. Right, right, okay. I'll, I'll take it. All right. <laughs> see, I, I grow a garden specifically because I'm like, yeah, I'll let the birds have it. But I know that obviously... You know, farmers who are actually, they're right. like, it's a constant, like, okay, let's make sure these birds don't get this or whatever. Is this Nichols nearby? It is, right? Yeah. yeah. And so Nichols is there and he's like, hey, this is not fair. And she's like, not fair? How? You have all the same compost, the same soil, even the same seeds. But Nichols is like, you got that green thumb voodoo child phoenix working for you. That's what you got. <laughs> 
Yeah, look around. You see her? Come on, Nichols. Where is she? Where's Phoenix? And so she she's like, She learned these skills. <laughs> right. She was patient enough to pay attention and learn. And it's a process, and it's, you know, it's like anything else. You do it enough, you're going to get good at right. it. You just got to really, like, you know. And so he's, I feel like part of that is he's like, I don't know. I put the seeds. Why don't they grow? And she's <laughs> like, no, you got to pay attention to pH levels in the soil. And right. Shit. And I think there was a comment that Phoenix made at the end of that last story where she was like, I'm going to teach you Sherman yeah. or something. I'm going to show you how to do this or whatever, whether you like it or not or something go. like that. So that's great. She's proud of herself for learning a set of skills. I don't blame her. I also like to think that uh, it's a bit of Liz's abilities coming out here in that like we've only ever seen her um, thrill as a destructive force, but I think it's also something that can uh, enhance and um, help life along. Oh, you know what? That's, that's a, good a point. great point. I, love I that. even think about that. That's awesome. Inside the HQ, we see Phoenix and Bruiser, and uh, I love this little scene where she's like, move it, Bruiser, stop dragging your ass. Yeah, I love Bruiser. He's probably one of my favorite characters. (laughs) Yeah. I love her, like, I'm a teenager, I have a flannel shirt on. (laughs) It's great. And Phoenix and Kate continue to butt heads a little bit. Kate calls Bruiser stinky, and Phoenix is like, just gave him a freaking bath. (laughs) I guess they're a little bit more friendly, though, than they have been before. And Devon talks about the test they've been running on Johan since he took over the sledgehammer armor in the last story. They confirm that Johan is in control of the Vril armor. They don't know how the thing started working again after decades. And Johan has been destroying Ogdruhems with them. Jeez. And we get some spectacular panels oh, by man. Campbell and Stewart. Of Johan just releasing all this real power against these Ogdruhems. Yes. Really spectacular. Oh, yeah. I-, I love the way he draws the real armor. Yeah, Lawrence Campbell does a great job with this. Perfect artist after... I mean, he's, he was on Lightning War. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, this is the exact guy you want. And you know what's funny is... Um, remember last summer I did that commission for Ryan Yule. And I remember mm-hmm. Aubrey commented that... He liked that I included the black, the the buff flame fighting sledgehammer. And I don't think at the time you realized yeah. that that was actually Johan, right? No, I did not realize you remember? that at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm actually... I I'm, almost, I'm actually looking at I it almost right ruined it for you. <laughs> I could have totally spoiled that. No, I see. I thought you were doing something kind of like a um, homage. Like, you know, we saw the right. sledgehammer doing it to the old black flame and then, you know, the new black. I just thought you were doing something like that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, no, didn't spoil it at all. <laughs> Having Lawrence Campbell on this book for this rematch is perfect. He he puts in so many, like, great little visual references to Lightning War. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. He does this a couple times, too, where... Uh, and and I'll bring it up more as we go up, but like he zooms out real far mm-hmm. and it gives these panels just like a sense of realism. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but he does it a couple times where he just zooms out really far and gives you this really far away perspective. And it just like whenever I see those panels, it just looks so real to me. You know, Lawrence Campbell, the way he handles scale really does drive home the magnitude of the situation. Yeah, that's a and great that- way to put it. When a character is so tiny and there's this massive, like, event happening. Yeah. And you can, they're alone, they're small, it's literally them against all of the odds. And he he really handled, I, I don't know 
if there's another artist on these books that does it quite the same way. Yeah. I find with Lawrence Campbell, just like if you look at his scenes just when there's two characters talking, he's more likely to pull the camera back further than you normally would. Like, he, he likes showing at least to the waist shots in general. And I, I keep noticing that he, rather than, like, getting close to a character and showing a very specific expression, like, and he does do that still, but he tends to favour... Um, going further away and doing a silhouette that speaks in some way about what's going on. Um, he uses silhouettes a lot to express characters' emotions. And so um, I feel like when you've got a story that's about stepping back and seeing huge things, it's really playing into his strengths. Right. So awesome. And Kate thinks it's good, too, that Johan is using the armor. It gives Liz practice on her gardening. Yeah. Hey, that's important work, Phoenix says. Not like we're getting vegetables delivered regular up here. Folks got to eat, don't they? But is Liz the one who needs to be feeding them, Kate asks. Kate talks about how the hammerheads and monsters have been getting closer to the headquarters. NORAD, even the classified exec bunker. And Kate's worried that they are being targeted. But Phoenix says she hasn't had any visions about that. Panya says that's comforting, but she'd like to do another hypnosis session to get a broader range. Remember the last time she did that? Phoenix had like a freak out and she saw this like scary vision and all this kind of stuff. So, Well, I mean, it was like her first experience with that and she was still untrusting of everybody at right the time. yeah that's true honestly if monsters <laughs> ate the government i'd be okay with that <laughs> especially the current one <laughs> but you know phoenix she's matured a lot she agrees to it and she's like we're all on the same side right best lock a bruiser don't want him to take down any more pets again right I notice a lot of maturity in her. Yeah, she's like, she's you know, she's like, we're going to do it better this yeah. time. We're you, we're going to do it again, but this well, time we're going to be better about it. Well, isn't she also like a year or two older? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like um, the last time she did it, she would have been about 17 years old. Now she'd be like 19 or 20. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. yeah. And probably spending so much time around everyone who's literally like... I guess in their 30s or 40s right, or right. something like that. You know, she's she's basically spending time around mm -hmm. all these people who have, you know, managed to get it across like, hey, we need to get something done. We need to get it done right now. And so, yeah, yeah. she's probably just, you know, she's on board and it, it's, it's good. It's good to yeah, see. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. I get the feeling, too, this isn't their second session. They would have had some other ones off that have happened between books and stuff. You know, like, it's just that first one was... You know, it didn't go so well, so, you know, they, they're still referencing it as... Right. Let's go, Stinky. It's doggy jail for you. Aww. I love that little panel where she says to Bruiser. Okay, this next page, I'm so excited. Your yes. This is very much my <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, we cut over and we see Professor O'Donnell and Howard. Professor O'Donnell and Ted Howard's together at last. Didn't, this is such an awesome... And, and, and I want to say at the end of Flesh and Stone, Kate even made a joke and she said, I'd love to see them two in a room together. I sure right? would. You know what I mean? Oh, man. <laughs> this is the content I crave. Chef's kiss. And so we see Howard's there. He's like carving at some rocks. And O'Donnell's talking to him. Wait, aren't those the rocks? The ones yeah. The, the well, we're, we're going to yeah. reveal that, right? So O'Donnell says, the larger good, Agent Howard's the larger good. That really, that and nothing else. That's what this is about. It's not about privacy because in these times, and he just sees Howard scratching at the rock. Now, now I'm told, I'm told you don't, you're not much of a communicator, but you seem to have come up with or found or engineered another means to combat our... 
Well, for instance, what you're doing now, it is, to me at least, it seems counterintuitive, these rocks. And he's like inspecting the rocks that Howard's is scraping. Now, weren't these the very stones, the talismans perhaps, that you used in an enterprise to weaken the mountain creature last month? And so that's when he was on that mission with Enos. That is so, isn't it? I have that right, or has somebody mischaracterized? Oh, and Howard's like, gets the rock away from him. He's like, give me that back. (laughs) But we also see like the little carvings, whatever he's shaving off the rocks, he's like, has it in a paper. Well, it's the the pigment, the paint. Yeah. Oh, you're right. The paint that was on the rocks. I love, thank you for pointing that out, Aubrey. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I totally didn't catch that. He's scraping off, he's scraping the The dye into it. Yeah. And then he folds the paper and pours it into the water, and we get some really great panels of it, like mixing in with the water. Whom's amongst that. us has not used this technique, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just gotta say I love the uh, dialogue from O'Donnell, the way it's written, the way he's like, "Now, now, I'm, I'm told you don't, you're not he, much of a, a, a communicator." Yes, but you, you know, like just the way he talks, it, it seems to me at least, it seems counter counterintuitive. The this rock, these rocks. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like yeah. He's, I love the way he's kind of Absolutely. unable to keep up with his own thoughts. Awesome. A couple of things. One. I want to reference this scene again later. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but for now, yeah, I think that it's got to be some like residual magic on that stuff that he scraped off, you know? Right. And um, I, I just wonder if he thought of that on his own or what. But anyway, I want to come back to that later. Yeah. We cut over to this picturesque scene. We see an old man and an old woman, and they walk with another man and a little girl, his granddaughter. It's revealed to us that the old man is Yosef. And just like we've seen previously, Yosef dreams and imagines what his life had been like with Polina. In this dream, he has a son and a granddaughter, Kalinka, and he's playing with her. And as he's playing with her, he starts to hear like these beeping sounds. So he's like throwing her up in the air and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, watch your back. And he's like, what are we going to eat today? Fish sticks or whatever. What does he say? Fish rolls or whatever. And they're having this scene. And then in the middle of it, it's interrupted by this beeping. And then we cut over and we see that it's the phone. And Yosef is in his regular containment suit laying on the bed. Yosef wakes up and the phone call tells him that he has a message from Roscosmos. This is the Russian Federal Space Agency. The Roscosmos State Corporation for Space Activities is a state corporation responsible for the wide range and types of space flights and cosmonaut programs for the Russian Federation. Uh, And they also mentioned the Sentinel 311C2 satellite, that it has tripped a near-Earth object alarm. And there is actually a Copernicus Sentinel-2 mission. It comprises of two polar orbiting satellites placed in the same sun-synchronous orbit, phased at 180 degrees to each other. It aims at monitoring variability in land surface conditions and will support monitoring of Earth's surface changes. Uh, So I didn't read anything about a near-Earth object alarm, but... I gotta imagine there's something like that out there, right? We wish there was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's not enough funding to track all that <laughs> in real life. Yeah. Fortunately. Uh, I just want to point out, like, uh, while you were reading about the scene with the little girl and everything, there's a moment where Daniel went, oh, and I think that says a lot about how much our perception of um, Yosef has changed. When you consider how he was introduced in Russia, where oh, yeah. right, this yeah. was a character we didn't trust and we, we felt like, you know, we had really strange feelings of him, always questioning his motives. 
look at how much this guy has changed. Like, we're going, oh, about him. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, to be fair, he was like a gross yuck man. He's a yucky, gross He still man. is a gross yuck man. It's yeah. just, we care about him now. It wasn't yeah. really the gross yucky thing. It was more the... What's going? On? What's your game? Oh, boy? like yeah, yeah. You know, that was my that was my mm. thought. I just know? thought he was gross. So I was like, <laughs> you know, he always dreams of the perfect day or the perfect boat yeah. ride or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? you're right. It's his good dreams are what I think most people take for granted day to day. Right, and it shows mm. that he's totally like he would do anything to have like a boring walk on the mm. beach talking about like making small talk about dinner. You could look at it in a really cynical way in your own life. But like if you were suddenly trapped inside of that containment suit, you know, uh, you mean if you a were zombie, a rotting corpse for yeah, the rest of would, time? Yeah. You would do sure. anything for a trip to the grocery store or, right. you know, yeah. but, but his are always family oriented. And that's really key because yeah. it shows that there's a side to him where he's like, damn it, I wanted that life. You know, right. the ideal, get married, have a family, be a grandfather. And and it's stuck with him. So I just think, you know, he's a deep guy. Yeah. It comes off to me as like, this is his paradise. Like, you know, you know, I mean, like we talked about like um, back in Hellboy in Hell, like, you know, everybody's in their own version of hell. Right. This is his version of paradise, you know. Being with his wife, growing old with her, having the kid and the grandkid, and then, you know, waking up into his own hell. Yeah. We cut over to New York, and we see this emaciated dog with a severed hand, right? Is that what he has? (laughs) Jeez. He's got to get himself a bone. Yeah. And we see the Grand Central Terminal. We last saw the Black Flame hanging out here previously, and we get some nice shots. It's all abandoned and overrun. Evelyn walks in. We get the click of her heels on this empty space. I really like that. You know, as she's walking like that, that's the only sound that's echoing in there, I imagine. She calls for Mr. Pulp. McDonald said you wanted to... Oh, this enormous eel spider monster comes out and it hisses at her. She starts to pull out the gun. Remember, she used that gun to kill that monster they were experimenting on in that Mm -hmm. last story, so she's still got it in her purse. Here comes the buff flame. Yeah, she's like, back off, Slimy. I'm ready for you. That won't be necessary. We see the black flame comes floating down from above. I like how they still refer to him as Mr. Pope. Right. Right, (laughs) They don't know what else to call him, right? (laughs) My technicians are complaining about you, he says to Evelyn. I'm not surprised to hear that, she says. But Marsden, Marsden trusted you. He valued you. He's petting this thing like yeah. it's a little puppy. <laughs> I like you can see like as he walks too, there's like black flame on the ground and stuff like that. If I had been stronger, he'd still be alive, I think. But I was small. Small and blind, the black flame says. I saw my power in this island. I thought that it came from life in the land. But it comes from everything. It flashes through synapses, and it burns across the universe. Do you understand, Evelyn? It comes from everywhere. And it will all be here soon. And as he's talking, we see like all this 
Yeah, fantastic celestial. imagery. Yeah, yeah, the celestial like zodiac signs and stuff like that in the sky. And that kind of harkens back to a lot of stuff that we learned in Rise of the Black Flame. They talked about the all and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We cut over to some battleships in the sea and inside the crew talk to the captain. One says he doesn't like being this close to the New York coastline. They're in these recommissioned battleships. These are all the Navy is willing to put in that risk zone. One guy says the sonar is dropping in and out. It makes it look like the seafloor is shifting. Sir, I don't think that's the seafloor. We see like they all get pushed to the side. And then this giant, incredible Ogdruhem bursts out of the water. The team encountered this same monster in Lake of Fire. If you remember, the Navy planes thought that they were like deformed whales, but it was really the claws of this colossal octopus monster with claw tentacles thing. So this is the same thing that took out all those planes in that earlier story. And so now it bursts out of the water. It snaps one of the battleships right in half. This thing is gigantic. Let's test that armament right now, the captain yells. Fire the Mark 6s. And so the Mark 6s are the guns on these battleships. Nowadays, all the all these kinds of battleships have Mark 7s, but Mark 6s are the old ones, right? Mm-hmm. They launch all this artillery at the creature. God damn it, nothing, one of the crew says. Just like I said, like we're throwing popcorn at it. We're dead. And this thing is like coming up just to push its claw down right on their ship. And then suddenly, all this cosmic energy starts engulfing the creature. I love the colors here. This is just amazing work by Dave Stewart. It falls over, splashing into the water. I don't know what just happened, but I'm glad it did, the captain says, addressing the troops. I say we count our blessings and turn this ship. What? And so they turn around and they look. What? This is, yeah, man. What what did you... (laughs) We see these like some writhing ghosts. Yeah, writhing ghosts, or you know, all these kind of spirits, kind of flying out from where that cosmic energy was dispersed, and they're all like going up into the sky and stuff. And first, before we find out what it uh, was causing, I thought, were these spirits in the Andrew him? Right. And it's just like, but when we find out, it makes it even just more yeah. fucked up. I just got used to the idea of fighting giant monsters, but ghosts. What kind of war? Captain, look, one of the crewmates says, and we see a Victorian submarine coming out of the water. Hmm. Mm. That looks a little familiar, right? Oh, man. Yes. Oh, man. This was so awesome when this happened. Like, like, I mean, this is the first issue and so much has happened already. That's like stuff you've been waiting for forever. And it's just like thing after thing where you're just like, oh, my God, now that's happening. (laughs) This was so amazing when it was coming out. Yes, yes. Every issue was just like chock full of so many references and callbacks to previous stories. And it's like, it's all coming together now. Well, we're starting to get to the stuff where when I first started reading this, I remember you, uh, John, saying, I can't wait for you to read this. Oh, man, just what? Oh, when we get to this, (laughs) you were constantly. And now I'm like, oh, I understand now what he was talking about. Maybe it's too premature to talk about this, but like these three issues and the two issues we're going to do on the next episode. There's like a strange degree of closure that you don't normally get out of these books. Like normally you don't get any closure or it's like there's just more questions with the supposed answer or whatever. But then like in this series, 
feel like they're really bringing a lot of storylines together. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, on the one hand, I never thought I'd see that guy again. But <laughs> that, it, you know, but okay, he's back. So this is cool. Yeah. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm with Mark. It was very exciting. I was on the opposite side with that in that, like, the second he vanished at the end of Garden of Souls, I was like, we're definitely seeing him again. Did they show him once, like, just in the bottom of the ocean? They did, right? Yeah, King of Fear. Um, That's right. Where he's basically like, you know, oh, the, the die has been cast or something like that, you know. Oh, <laughs> you're right. The yeah. game is on. The game is on. The game just, is it's just enough to let you go, this, this piece is still on the board. We're not right. done with it yet. Right. Over at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, Liz brings Kate some tomatoes, and she's looking for Phoenix. Kate says Phoenix is with Panya, and we cut over to them. Sorry, if someone brought me a basket full of raw tomatoes, I would be so fucking mad. <laughs> well, what if you hadn't eaten in a long time, or you hadn't had any like fresh vegetables? They might just be eating, like, what are those army things, like MREs yeah. or whatever, yeah. or stuff like that, so... I mean, it, it might be a point where any any fresh vegetable is nice. Like, how right. dare you get out of here <laughs> with these raw tomatoes? If someone brought me a medley of tomatoes, I'd be like, yes, you are my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut over to Phoenix and Panya. Panya with Marbles, the pelican monkey. And she's attempting to hypnotize Phoenix, who's in a meditative pose. Yeah, Mark, it makes me think like they've practiced this a little bit more since that last yeah. one. Release the indistinct, the merely possible, Panya says, leaving you with a sharper vision of the probable. And so we go inside Phoenix's mind. She sees that picturesque scene from Argent that we saw earlier, and we see that lady there out there with the stroller and her kid. And so they're like talking out there about how they don't really miss TV, but when are we going to be getting some chocolate or whatever? It makes right. you think about all ladies, the Ladies, am I right? Yeah. All ladies want is some chocolate. <laughs> Whoa, I'm on board. I want some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> chocolate is fucking good. Yeah. And so yes. th this is, this is true. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, Mark right. Mark's they a big chocolate fan. I'm a huge yeah. chocolate person. I'm just yeah, the it's the apocalypse and there's it's a lady cliche. with a stroller talking about chocolate and I'm just like, <laughs> "Oh, Karen, why?" <laughs> hey Mark, uh, but that makes a quick sidebar. Have you ever tried those Hellboy chocolates from Sweet Hollywood or whatever? Have you tried those? No, I haven't. They're pretty good. Like the Abe one has like sea salt and caramel or something. And then Ooh. the Lobster Johnson bar has corn nuts in it, <laughs> which that I is think is hilarious. Thing ever. And then the Hellboy one has like peppers in it or it's like hot. Yeah. It's got Ooh, dark chocolate with peppers in, in it or something. Anyway, it's pretty good. I need Check those out. These. You can still order them from... Yeah. From that I website. can't really uh, ship them to uh, Australia. Unfortunately, Brisbane's got um, a climate that destroys chocolates pretty easily. We've uh... had chocolate stores open up and then shut down a year later because they just can't handle the climate. Oh, it's just man. too much humidity. It, it wrecks the chocolates. Um, yeah. Wow. And so as Phoenix is observing this scene in her mind's eye, she's like, no. And then Panya's like, Phoenix, what's going on? It's like cutting back and forth. In Argent, they see this huge, like, comet, some sort of meteor thing yeah, coming out of the sky. Good. And Phoenix starts, like, her eyes roll back in her head, and she's all foaming at the mouth. This is awful. And then we just see this giant thing flooding uh. in from the sky. Phoenix, darling, 
help, we need help, Hanya screams, and Marbles runs over to see if Phoenix is all right. I really like that little detail. And Phoenix is just, like, seizing on the floor with, like, the foam coming out of her mouth. It's so awful. And then we see the Welcome to Argent, Kansas sign, and behind it there's this huge explosion of something that has just crashed down. Chapter 2. And so we get a great cover here by Lawrence Campbell, we see this giant. We well, we know that this is the Ogdra Jihad, right? That had that is missing from that cocoon, and then we also see Professor O'Donnell there. Poor Professor O'Donnell. Now we open on rotted tomatoes. We see Liz watching over Phoenix in a hospital bed. She appears unconscious, bruiser by her side. So far, in spite of the extensive cover. I can tell you the damage is not as extensive as the size monitors indicated. We've landed as close as 60 miles from the impact in largely intact communities. That's the good news. But here at Ground Zero, the particulate is very thick. I don't have much hope for the town below us. And we see the SSS helicarrier from the Russian BPRD. Inside, Yosef talks to Kate. She asks him to try and get a visual. Their satellite can't pick up anything. It's a total blackout, this asteroid impact. Is it even a matter for the Bureau, Kate asks? Dr. Corgan, I don't know what quality of video we can get you in this atmosphere, but you must trust me. This is definitely a matter for the Bureau. Jeez, man. Man. So let's talk about this a little bit, right? Here we're seeing this enormous Ogdra Jihad monster thing. Oh, man. And then in front of it, we're seeing more Ogdra Hems. And if you think back to that vision that Liz had way back in King of Fear, remember where she saw the helicarrier destroyed? Right, yeah. right. And she saw Jiroko's burned out uniform. These were the Ogdra Hems that she saw. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And then I like this uh, big green, like, flame crown. Yeah. Mm. Amazing colors by Dave Stewart. And I think um, we'll talk about this more when we get to the sketchbook on next episode. But Mignola specifically talks about having that green light coming out of the mouth and the nostrils and the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But then also, I mean, that... That's such a Mignola shape above the head there. Yeah, we've that. seen that a lot. Yeah, So amazing and awful, just so awful as well. You know what I mean? It's just like the impossible will happen, right? Yeah, man. Mm. I first saw this um, as a PDF because that's how they send it as a preview. And I, it's one of those things where like PDFs are never as good as a physical copy. Oh my right. God, it's so good to have a book in your hands yeah. and see this. <laughs> I like the detail, too, that it's been a full week because, you know, like if you had uh, an asteroid crashed and you wouldn't be able to get close to it through that level of particulate because it would just, you know, like crash your device or whatever. Like they've had to actually wait for it to settle enough for them to even get this close. Right. Yeah. yeah there is that little detail in there. I love that they finally showed this dragon. And once again, it's all about scale. Yes. It's like mm-hmm. this giant monolith. Right, it's like a mountain range, and yeah. then some. Yeah. Can you and imagine? It, I, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the city, like you're saying, like the scale of it. Like I'm just can't yeah. even. I try to picture yeah. what it would really yeah. be like if something like that was stomping around yeah. Houston or whatever, and I just can't even. The, yeah, this is so. Um, this is kind of random, but still on topic. You know, unfortunately, uh, here in the Houston area, like a couple months ago, we had 
this uh, horrible explosion at a refinery. Yeah. yeah. And it sent like this black cloud coming all the way across the city, like even all the way over here where we're living, you could see this line of black in the sky that was coming all the way from this refinery that had blown out. And all I could, and stupid me, I should be thinking about like, what's in the air? And is this going to affect my breathing? And is this dangerous to me? But all I was thinking was, that's what the breath of change would look like. From the, so from really the salt and sea monster. Like, that's all that I was thinking of is like, oh my God, you know, it made me like think about Ogdrahams yeah. and the Ogdrahams yeah, and wow. the scale of those things, you know, and anyway when you try to actually picture what it would be like yeah. in real life it really just kind of boggles your mind i can totally relate just because like the way the sky was uh, acting the last couple of months oh, you know like after yeah. the fires and everything yeah. Just, oh yeah yeah oh my god yeah, yeah. tragic but you're right i mean it's like it's a, that's what it would look like yeah, yeah. That's, the scale that's of what it. they've illustrated mm-hmm. for us what i want to know is all right so you see the size of this thing and now go back to the cover to the previous issue and is it that big in there oh right, <laughs> right? yeah yeah it's like how massive is that thing now right and I wonder, i'm wondering because i haven't read this yet i'm wondering like is that a larval like is that a baby right is that a tiny little baby <laughs> is he gonna just is that it's like he's like tromping around like a toddler like Meh, you know right, what i mean and right. is he Gonna get into right. his final form? Is sure. it gonna be fucking like the size yeah. of the earth or some shit? Yeah, anyway. Uh, well, and the only other, I, I wanna ask Mark, um, what sort of common knowledge do, does the Bureau have at this point in terms of there being seven of those? Or is that just something that you would hear from a Professor O'Donnell type of person? I think that's pretty much just Professor O'Donnell at this point. They've got Hellboy's reports from Sleet of Destruction and O'Donnell's ravings. Wow. So it's way worse than they actually know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're working in, like, you know, as readers, we know way more about what's happening than they do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so we cut over to O'Donnell, and he's freaking out, right? He's, like, rocking back and forth in a chair, and he talks about his dreams. He dreams of good things that are possible, and then he wakes up to the impossible. I feel so bad for him. It's all backwards, O'Donnell says. It's reverse. This shouldn't happen. It can't happen. And Doris tries to comfort him. She's like, okay, Professor, take it easy. An Ogdrija had on Earth, it can't happen. There are seven that are one. Seven. Seven that are one. And then so Devon comes in and he talks with Doris and we learn that Kate won't let them sedate O'Donnell. Just record everything he says. Doris says they can't have him go on like this. It's just not human. No, Professor O'Donnell. Yeah. (laughs) No, Devon says, but what choice do we have? Yeah, what do you think about that? In this situation, I mean, it's something like it's cruel, but... If they don't get the information that they need from him, it will be worse for the world. Yeah. This is one of those things where, like, um, I, like I know that Doris is really worried about Professor O'Donnell, but I can't help hearing Professor O'Donnell's own uh, thoughts on this matter just from the previous issue, where he's like, nothing else matters. This is what's important. You know, like, he would totally be on board with Kate's decision, even though it's horrible to him. Oh, you're right. You're right. He would be on board. Yeah. That makes me feel a little better, I guess. (laughs) 
over with Howard's, now we see him painting with that mixture from earlier. So we saw him put the dye in the water, and now he's drawing or painting something. And outside, all his groupies are out there waiting for him, right? They've got the Howard's emblem on their jacket, and these all look like cool kids, right? Hell yeah. Yeah, I like the sleeve on that one girl. <laughs> yeah, and he's like knocking on the door. He's like, oh, we kind of hoped. Well, you know, we've been waiting a while to see you, and... Okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> We're here when you're ready, man. I want one of those fucking shirts. Yeah. We cut over to Johan and Liz. They're in a helicopter, and they talk about Phoenix. Johan says he thinks she'll be fine. Her test didn't show any neural damage. She has good signs for recovery. But Liz is still concerned by Phoenix's coma, and she's just, like, chain-smoking like crazy. I love those panels, too, (laughs) of her, like, lighting it, and then you see all the butts on the ground. She wonders why she gets so worked up over one person while the world is dying. It's the human condition, Johan says. We can't care as much for millions as we do our friends. Liz clarifies. The world is dying. Why get attached to anybody? Johan says Kate has adopted a similar philosophy, and he explains to Liz how Kate is treating O'Donnell like they just talked about in that previous scene. How he's been in a frenzy for over a week since the impact, talking nonstop as if he knows what exactly happened in Kansas. Kate's recording everything and withholding sedatives. Liz says he might say something relevant and asks what he's said so far. I don't know, Johan says, in my new capacity as a combatant, I no longer get such updates. You were always a combatant, Johan, Liz says, but now you're like me. You're a weapon. Jeez. Although he's like standing there with his like clenching his fist when he says combatant. Yeah. And this is what I was talking about, the way that he talks. So he's like, oh, in my new capacity as a combatant, I no longer get such updates. You know what I mean? <laughs> like his, just his phrasing and coming from this giant hulking armor, yeah. I think is really interesting. I love this, uh, this last panel here with Liz in it. She's, her wry sense of, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I just really like that. Uh, now you're like me, you're a weapon. Yeah. She's just very mad. Matter of fact about it, she's very kind of uh, just that dry delivery is so impressive. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and I love these character moments so much. I'm just like, every time I read one of these, I'm like, Arcudi, you're yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Here's Johan again trying to figure out his purpose and analyze his situation. Right. You know, he's really turned the therapy inward yeah. like, over the years, and he's still doing it. And it's like, they're just, I feel like they're showing us that as he evolves and as he changes both as a character and in physical form, which he's done before, I feel like they're showing us that he's the same guy. Right. Nothing is is fundamentally changed outside of his abilities or, I mean, that's a big deal, but he's basically the same guy talking about what it all means, you right. know? And I feel like that's his essence. Uh, just want, uh, Matt, do you have the trade, uh, sorry, the singles with you at the moment? Yes. Um, so in the panel, the fifth one, um, how do they spell Elizabeth? E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H. Okay, so they did change that. That's interesting. For a while there in Hell on Earth, they started to make it that whenever um, Johan said Elizabeth, they would change the Z to an S. Oh. And um, the idea was they wanted to reference his German accent a little better. 
Um, but it was something that they hadn't done in um, Plague of Frogs. And I remember mentioning that to um, Scott Alley and talking <laughs> about how, like, it was kind of weird because it made you, like, you, you've heard his voice in your head a certain way, but then you read that and it makes you think of his voice a little differently. And it was kind of a bit jarring for me. And it was just odd because I noticed in the trades and then the omnibuses after that, they'd gone back and fixed it. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Nice little detail there. We see the helicopter that they're in landing in front of Yosef. And he's pumped to see Johan in the sledgehammer armor. He greets him. Hello, Yosef. Sad circumstances. And Yosef just interrupts that with a big old bear hug. Sad circumstance, but always happily met, Johan. Always. Man, I love I love the way that uh Yosef just like looks after and cares for her. Yeah. yeah. He's it's like because you know, they're both guys in yeah. suits and he's always got that kinship with him, but it's all like, dude, I am giving you a fucking hug. It's like when I see you. Yeah. <laughs> well they he maybe he's like the really the only person he can really relate to and kind yeah. of he's like, We're brothers. Right, Two right, brothers. Yeah. <laughs> but I love this panel as Yosef gives him this big hug like Johan like he doesn't even close his arms around him. Like, he just stands there. He almost looks like Aww. he's stunned or doesn't know how to react to that. Yosef gives him some good ribbing as well. He jokes a bit about the new suit. What? Mine wasn't good enough? Do you have one of these for me? All this kind of stuff, <laughs> right? And he also meets Liz for the first time. Again, sad circumstances, but I'm glad we have this chance to meet in person at last. Any I- friend of Johan's, Liz says. I love that. Right. I guess I didn't realize that they hadn't met before because yeah. they were both in New York. That's uh, weird. It's cool that they mentioned that yeah. again. Oh, they were both in New York, right? But she was yeah. off fighting and flying in the air, and he was—he had his own mission where he was trying to kill Marsden. Try you mean succeeding in yeah. killing Marsden? <laughs> well, again, that's just you know I'm always impressed with Scott Alley's ability. He's a good continuity editor. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Liz asked to go ahead and get on with it. Yosef goes to brief her. Thanks, Director Nacheco. But that's not what I meant. And we get these beautiful panels of Liz, like, she just leaps off the side of the helicarrier. Her face, she's just stone cold, man. And we get these beautiful panels, and we get the rest of her speech to Johan. So when she said, now you're a weapon, and it doesn't leave you room to be much else. Your job is to kill and destroy, and your job is your life. It won't make you happy. It won't bring you peace. But it will make you feel needed and powerful. Christ, I won't lie to you, Johan. Sometimes it makes you feel like a god. And these panels are just amazing. I mean, I don't even know how to describe these uh, Lawrence Campbell pencils here. But just like Danielle said, her face as she's dropping off is just like almost emotionless. Like she's just like... So good. uh, I don't know. It just captures so much about everything that we love about Liz. And it feeds over into this enormous splash page as she confronts the Ogdru Jihad and all the Ogdruhem surrounding it. On that page where they're on top of the helicarrier, is that what they're calling it? Anyway. That's what uh, I'm calling it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Look how tiny everybody is. Their word balloons are so huge compared to how small they are. And then <laughs> those four panels across the bottom, Liz is, it's as if they're zooming in and then zooming away, but they're really small, delicate even in the atmosphere. And then you get this super zoom in on her face. And it's like the caption is, it won't make you happy. Yeah. Right. And that's so dramatic. It's really it's good. So impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, they don't spare any of the background in that right yeah. because 
you can still tell like, man, she is in a bad place. And then they turn the camera and now you can see where she's headed. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like, geez, she's small again. And so I think that's, that's just what we were saying earlier. Like how Mark said, he works with the silhouettes in a way that conveys emotion, right? Yeah. It's like, you're just a shadow amongst this apocalypse but you're the one who's going to save us. Right. (laughs) So cool. (laughs) And it's also kind of eerie when you're saying, because we spent so long with you saying, and here's this Ogdru Hem, and here's an Ogdru... When you're saying Audrey Jihad now, yeah. I'm like, wait, right. that's the thing. That's the... Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> no, ugh, that's the that's the main event, man. Yeah, it took me so yeah. long to, to switch from Audrey Jihad and Audrey Hem in my head. Yeah. <laughs> now that I got there, we're like, oh, crap, back to the... But it's <laughs> like, it's, it just gives me a sense of it's like, it's on, man. Yeah. Uh, just want you might want to cut this out, but um, I just want to check with uh, Matt. The page where Johan is hugged by um, Yosef. What's the background color on the um, buildings and everything in the the single? Uh, they're kind of like an olive green in the sky, is like okay. a dark charcoal. Okay, so they once again did fix that. This is one of these weird things where like I'm I'm I've got the trade in front of me and I've also got the PDF that I was originally sent and the colors aren't final in the PDF. Oh. Um, yeah, and so like um, when Dave Stewart did the original pass on it, I, I think like he um, must have started it thinking that it was they were on the ground somewhere, and so he's colored it in all these grays like it's a military installation. And then later, someone's pointed out, um, you know, oh no, the helicarrier is green. You got to that that's that oh, location. Okay. Oh, so neat. Okay. Yeah, they have a helicopter landed on the helicarrier. And right. It's like, yeah. It right. Does right. Look like a building. Do not cut that mm. out. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's just really frustrating reading the PDF sometimes because, you know, you're supposed to review these things and talk about the color and the lettering, but oftentimes the coloring and the lettering isn't finalized at that point. Especially um, there's some of them where, like, you know, you'll have the Black Flame talking and he's got these blue captions in the final book, but they're just white in the versions that I'm reading. Mm, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Right. I would love to yeah. see that. Behind it makes a big scenes. difference. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very strange sometimes. It does frustrate me a little bit just because, like, I, I want to be able to talk a little more about Clem Robbins's uh, lettering, but half the time I'm not seeing his final work. Aww. Right, right. Yeah, and you've said before, I think on the podcast, that you want to just, like, enjoy the books sometimes. I, I mm. There was a period oh, where I was, I was getting advanced PDFs for reviews, too, and I was like, I don't even want to read these. <laughs> i'm just not a pdf guy i'm, I'm a book person yeah oh, and, I, and i and i don't even really like doing the singles like i was a trade reader it's just mm. that's that's my natural inclination when i would read the single issues i'd often like i said last week i i would go back and read all the other issues too and so it was almost like a trade or building up to a trade or something like that and so Johan meets Liz out in front of the Agra Jihad and he's like, oh, it's so much bigger than anything we've seen. We should compose a strategy. Strategy? This is in Gettysburg, Johan, Liz says. We just do what we do best. We burn. Random that she would pick Gettysburg to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that... Was there really a strategy there, or was it just like a huge bloodbath? <laughs> Maybe it's the only battle that she could really think okay. of, or you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But this panel is amazing, too, as she just like lights up. You know, she's ready. Um, she doesn't want to be briefed or anything. Just send me out there, and I'm going to do my shit. thing. Yeah. Nuke them. 
We cut over to Yosef, and he talks to another soldier, Anton. Anton says, the airspace clearing is ending, but Yosef wants to keep waiting. Anton mentions that Johan and Liz have been burning the Ogdru Jihad for hours. Should we expect them to injure that mountainous thing? And what about the sanctions? Yosef says he doesn't know, but they will keep waiting. And so we cut over to Johan, and I love this too. the the writing is uh, The writing and the pacing is so well done because he says we will keep waiting. We see this image of Johan, and then we cut over to Johan. You yeah. know what I mean? That's like the transition. And there are a lot of those. I noticed them um, throughout this issue where it's kind of the the last panel and the previous page is kind of setting you up for the next switch over or whatever. I find it kind of weird that, you know, they still have to deal with, like, airspace clearance during the middle of the apocalypse. Yeah, that is weird, right? (laughs) You know, we got the apocalypse is going on, but make sure you got all the government still got all your red tape. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we cut over to Johan. We see him blasting with real energy, and he suddenly relents. He's exhausted, despite him having no physical body. He remarks how Liz fights (laughs) on and on. The power flows from her in every direction. She can't hurt this monstrosity either. But without even meaning to, she's destroying everything else. And she never tires. Pages are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And this awesome splash page of just fire. Liz is just like this white silhouette on this huge background of flame. She's burning all the Ogdru Jihad and the surrounding Ogdru Hems. Is is the plural of Ogdruhem Ogdruhems or Ogdruhem? Ogdruhem. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, Mark would know. See, this is why we have you on nice, the podcast. Nice, nice. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> well, I, I had um, Scott Alley actually editing some of my um, Hell Notes for a little bit. So oh, cool. All right. Oh, there you go. Very cool. Very cool. You got the inside track. I love in this like splash page where all the fire, you have that one panel of her eyes. Ah, yeah. yeah, and I love this effect where they have the flames kind of like coming out of the side of her eyes. Yeah. They sure, do that yeah. a couple times. It looks so awesome in some of these scenes. Suddenly, the earth below her cracks, revealing lava, Jeez. which then erupts violently, blasting everything in the vicinity. Is she controlling that, though? Oh, I don't know. Is she? Because she has the fire. Fo- she's got... Right. So much power. Like, I wonder if that's... I honestly don't know. It's left vague enough that it, you could read it either way. Because mm-hmm. I read that as her. I mean, She's just like, well, I'm going to do this too. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought she was, like, taken into the next level with that or something. Oh. See, I, I guess I assumed it was just that it was because there was so much heat and so okay. much power, it cracked the earth open. Right, right. But it could be okay. either sure, one. Sure, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. In any other scenario, what Liz is doing here might be considered reckless, just you know, right. letting out all of her power this way. And she's just turning it all the way up, pushing the limits. And I think that this, what's happening around her is um, a result of that. Sure. Yeah. And it's, like it's, a chain reaction has really, been. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what she can do when there's no possibility that she's going to hurt somebody. She doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah. Right. That's so interesting. I right. like that too. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, so that, I guess that includes herself, if you think about it, because she isn't worried. I, w- I would be worried, like, at what point does this, like, hurt me if yeah. I keep trying to do this? Oh, right, you know? right. She doesn't give and a fuck. And apparently, yeah, apparently she doesn't give a fuck, and there's nothing to worry about even, so, mm-hmm. or is there? Right. 
Dun, dun, dun. From this violent lava explosion, the helicarrier is also blown aside, oh, almost throwing off Yosef and Anton. Yosef tells Anton he was right to want to pull back. We need to get this ship as far from here as possible, he says. And suddenly, Johan comes flying up and he's cradling Liz. Good God, Johan, Yosef says, running up to him. We're nothing, Yosef, Johan whispers. It's over. And he, like, hands over Liz Jeez. to Yosef, and then he just immediately falls over. Clank, the armor hits the ground. Well, that's not fucking good. This page is... Yeah, oh, man. Oh, this page it makes my heart hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, no, you don't want to see the heroes failing, but they just seem like it's impossible. You know what I mean? And just how tired and worn they are just in this initial attempt to yeah. fight the monster. A baby monster. Yeah, really, right? Right. He's, he just got there. He's like, <laughs> and they're like, oh man, let's fight this little baby. But no. Yeah, and it's one of the. Seven. Yeah, just yeah. one. Just one. Well, you can just see there were some casualties, I guess. But I, I, you know, these guys almost fell off. But right. Um. But no, we. But I mean, I got what you're. They what know you what mean. they're getting like, into. Yeah. yeah. There's no yeah. like, you know, townspeople. Right. Because they were already dead. Yeah. <laughs> But everything is fire around them. It's just so intense. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm assuming at that, um, you know, like what's going on, you're starting to see the air ignite and things like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, right, right. Wow. Wild. Over at the BPRD headquarters, Panya is with Phoenix, still in the coma. Devon is there and is reluctantly asking her to try and reach into Phoenix's mind. They're desperate for information, and it doesn't seem like they learned much from O'Donnell. That's such an interesting... That they would bring Panya in and be like, well, maybe you can... Yeah. That's so fucking cool. Panya has no resistance getting into Phoenix's mind this time, Uh. and she's just standing in all black. And suddenly, she sees this creepy little ghost girl... We learned in BPRD Lake of Fire that this is Eris, Phoenix's dead sister. She tells Ponya that it's not safe there. Oh, they're there. Everything will be okay, Ponya says. But you aren't Phoenix. What in heaven is going on here? And these two blue dots like appear behind them. And then slowly and extremely creepily, those dots turn into the eyes of the black flame. He yells some scary frog language stuff right at Panya, and she's like, ah! So we see wow. her in her chair kind of recoil back, and Bruiser barks. Devon's <laughs> like, Miss Panya! And then she passes out, and so Devon's left there with Bruiser barking at him, Panya's passed out, and Phoenix is still in the coma, and he just thinks to himself, Oh, crap. <laughs> I love the onomatopoeia for the, the pups barks. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Ralph. Yeah, Ralph, yeah. Ralph, Ralph. <laughs> and I just love that little that little thought balloon. We don't see a lot of little thought balloons. We don't see very but many it's of very, those, yeah. it's, it's very well placed there. I really enjoy that. We only ever seem to see thought balloons when Devin's involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know if the Black Flame is screaming at them or... They've just encountered him. Right. Him yelling they in the middle of yelling. That he exists. He exists there. He's perpetually just yelling and being creepy, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so we get this scene with Kate and Yosef communicating with each other. Yosef is surprised that Liz survived the volcanic blast, but Kate isn't. 
Not a lot is impossible for Liz, she says. Yosef tells her the Ogdrich ahead was not damaged by their assault. The staff is trying to assess Johan, but he thinks they should bring him back to the Bureau. But Kate has to let him go. Their Washington contact is finally calling. But I do like how when I saw Johan like this and the technicians are trying to work with him, it just made me think of the sledgehammer armor. Yeah. Because that happens yeah. a lot too. So you're thinking like, is this it? Is Johan out now? You know what I mean? Like, is he just like, now he's in the cosmic realm and this is it and he's not going to come back or what? You know? I was thinking that because like, you know, like the first guy who used it was once, the second guy twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And when Kate connects to her contact, she can't see the picture but we learn this is Captain Hyder who's calling her. The general patched him directly <laughs> to her. He's been spearheading the New York Coastal Patrol. That's a dangerous assignment. How can I help you, Liz asks. Could be a little less dangerous than it used to be. There's been a development. And suddenly the video kicks in. What kind of development, Kate asks. A pretty weird one. And we see the captain in her monitor, and next to him is Mick Werther <laughs> in his ON Society robot this suit. Is such a hilarious reveal. I'm sorry. I just. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's so, great. And it's I just so love goofy. that. A pretty weird it. one. Yeah, that's really great. Oh, man. Back at the end of Garden of Souls, remember that Abe took out all these ON Society robot guys. We saw Mick Werther get blasted into the water and sinking near that Victorian ship. And then, like Matt mentioned earlier, he was alluded to again during King of Fear sitting at the bottom of the ocean. At the bottom <laughs> and, of the ocean. And also, okay, McWhorter made those two bodies that the BPRD acquired, one of which Johan used and overused and then was destroyed. Right. And the other one is currently the Black Flame. Yeah. Yeah. Someone needs to kill that guy. <laughs> right, right. Seriously. It's so annoying. And the fact that it's actually Landis Pope and everyone's calling him that, just that's the one I hate the most. <laughs> but McWhorter, Johan, and the Black Flame are all connected. Yeah. In, oh, you're right. Through that storyline. Yeah. And Johan's never actually even met McWhorter, right? He just, probably just knows it from Abe's report. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting that he would show up now when you think about it that way. Yeah, and it was surprising to me initially, and now I'm like, I don't think it has anything to do with those bodies, but there is a connection there. there and is, he's yeah. been in the story pretty significantly, whether he's literally been on the page or not. I love that. Yeah, I just got out a ruler and did a few quick calculations to try and figure out how high the uh, Ogdru Jihad was. Oh, he's got to be at least at least four point six miles or seven point five kilometers. Wow. wow. God damn. So you're saying yeah. 4.6 miles high? Wow, yeah. man. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Jeez. So basically, he's like a kilometer shy of Everest. Wow. Wow. That's terrifying to think about. Jeez. Thank you for scaring us so oh. bad, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter three. And so we get this terrifying cover of the Black Flame's scary face over Phoenix in her coma. And I just like the colors, too, how it all kind of blends together, right? The screens and the blue from the Black Flame and all that stuff. Very well done. Oh, yeah. We open on these beautiful panels of Phoenix walking with Bruiser on this mountainside. Yes, yeah, lovely. And again, I love how she talks to Bruiser. She's like, oh, come on, you won't come to the edge of this Aww. hill? What, a little hill scares you? 
How else are you going to work off all that cafeteria food you're always bumming off of me? Look at him. And he follows her to the edge. And when she looks over, we turn over and we see the BPRD headquarters is totally destroyed. It's in ruins. What did you think when you saw this? Because she sees the future, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... But we don't know what's going she on. She says she here. doesn't see the future. She just gets a feeling, right? But she's still in her coma, so it makes me think that this is like some sort of weird coma future dream. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely not good. No, it's not yeah. good. But she's also walking yeah. with a cane. Yeah, I noticed that too. She's got like a cane or some sort of walking stick. Jesus, when did what happened? She asked. It hasn't happened, but it will. We reveal. Eris, the creepy little ghost girl alongside her. And nobody can stop it, she says. Jeez, right. And as she says that, these tentacles are coming up to get them. Yeah, so what did you guys think about this, Mark? What When you first saw that that scene and knowing, knowing we've got a good kind of grasp of what Phoenix's powers are now. Well, we know she's hooked up to um, the Black Flame. So when I initially turned to the page, I remember thinking something along the lines of, this is like the Black Flame getting at her. But the second you have Eris confirm that it's actually happened, like, ah, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Matt? I knew it was a dream, but probably something more of a result of her going into a coma when she was entranced yeah. or whatever. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. I was more interested in... A couple of things on the next page. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're saying her dreams are probably a little bit more uh, significant than maybe the dreams of some of the other people on the team. Right, right. For example, yeah. like I think, like it's like you said that you know she's got this this ability, so we should probably pay a little a little closer attention to this than we would uh, just any other random dream. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize how many dreams we've seen. A lot. We've seen a lot it's of a lot. dreams. Yeah. Someone should put all that together. All the dreams that okay, we've seen. Okay, some yeah. dream sequences. <laughs> And so we reveal Phoenix, and she's still in the coma. The only positive element of this scenario is that I can gather intelligence undetected, Panya says. So the black flame is still embedded in Phoenix's subconscious, Kate asks. But he doesn't know it, Panya says. He is reaching out, extending himself across the globe, building a network of power. It's only because of Phoenix's extraordinary sensitivity, her receptiveness to the metanatural, that she was drawn into that web. And that thing in Kansas, it's hooked into that web, Kate says. Indeed, Panya confirms. Everything I've learned indicates it is the reason for the network. Then let's see if we can break it up, Kate says. I like the phrase, the meta-natural. Yeah. And I do like this little detail about the little cards. I was going to say the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, what are these little Aww, cards that people... You know, and the flowers and stuff like that. That's very sweet. Aww. I was going to say, I like that detail, too. It's just like some nice little touch yeah. that makes me like Florence Campbell's art. Yeah. Well, I didn't notice those right away, but I did eventually because I was looking at how Phoenix is basically in the same position and place that Panya was when oh. we first met her. Oh, you're right. Oh. She was like, in that bed. Yeah. Didn't find a bed, right? Yeah. And and I was like, so I wonder if maybe Panya has more feelings for her in this moment than she normally would. Not that she had right. too few or anything. No, but like she is, yeah. She's, she's sincere. But then I followed Phoenix to Panya to the cards. And I thought that was a cool, like, you know, the artwork yeah. really takes you from left to right here. But it feels like it's connected, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so everyone's yeah. worried about her. Yeah, and that's that, a beautiful yeah, point. So, that's a good that's a good composition as far as like emotionally. I also love 
that we get to see so much depth of character and the depth of their relationships of Liz's connection to Phoenix, of Panya's connection yeah. to Phoenix, of Kate's connection to Phoenix. Yeah. And they're all, all four of these fucking awesome characters. You really get a sense that they're people, they care about each other, they're, they have so much depth and breadth of, and it's just... I, I I know I've brought this up before. I know it's so corny and whatever, but I really appreciate that about this series. Yeah. I really do. And it's so it's it's great. Yeah, remember yeah. on the Devil's Wings we had that awesome team up where it was Liz, Kate, Phoenix, and Jiroko, right? The yeah. four of them. Yeah, that was great, a great one. These yeah. are great character moments and you you really get to and it's just yeah. Arcudi. I, I really that's what well, I yes, say, right? yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I just want to say that last panel, um, that's something that Lawrence Campbell does a bit where he has the characters kind of just floating in this island. Like there's no detail on the left and right side. And I love that the way those panels make the characters feel like they're just kind of isolated in that moment. Yeah. He uses it for very specific punctuation. You start seeing it in other stories and every single time I see him do it, I'm like, yes, you always pick the right moment to do that. Yeah, it is like a punctuation and it is appropriate in that moment because it's also like, sometimes I feel like that. Like these, these are the only things Mm. that matter in this moment and Kate is like, well, let's see what we can do about that shit. Right. And that's in her moment. That's the only thing that's on her mind. Yeah. So that's the only thing that's in the panel. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. That's so cool. Oh, it's because there's one coming up in the next arc that it's one of my favorite moments. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Over with Yosef on the helicarrier. So I like how they do this. We get the sense that the mission has changed, but they don't really tell us. They just throw us into the middle of this. It's like they set it up and we need to catch up and find out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that's cool. I dig that. So they're sending out these battleships. Yosef says, an aerosol is not workable. Now they can take the helicarrier to Kansas and actually serve a purpose. And his little buddy there, Anton, is like, but we have so many guns and awesome weapons. <laughs> How can we go on a rescue mission? Anton, when saving lives, begins to strike you at less noble, less honorable than taking them, it might be time for me to ask for your resignation. Is it that time? And he's like, no, director, no. Forgive me, I spoke out of turn. I'm willing to let our allies win this battle, if they can, Yosef says, because if they can't, our options diminish, and the allies left to us promise only ruin. And we see that he's thinking of Vavara. She's floating there in her jar. We see this a couple times, and it made me think, like, is he thinking about her, or is she fucking with his head? Because we saw that, too, in the previous stories where she was, like, messing with him or playing mind games with him, right? You remember that? Well, I think in this instance, he's actually just thinking about her. It's just right. to kind of remind yeah. the reader. To remind us. Of this, yeah. No, I think it's an option. I think he's thinking of her as an option. Yeah. He yeah. Says it because yeah. if they can't, our options diminish, which means we have one ally That's left. That's it, yeah. Not really an ally. <laughs> That's not right? really something I want to fuck with right now. <clears throat> yeah. Because, you know, I mean... Mm-hmm. Also, like, she's been in that jar for so long. Who knows what she'll do if she gets out. Right? I am so excited for this. Mm-hmm. Well, remember we saw that. Uh... <laughs> I'm so excited for this. Well, remember I know. We... It's like the, the, this issue has so many of those moments where you turn it like, oh, fuck, yes. <laughs> oh, well, we saw that flashback. Um, I think it was in Flesh and Stone. It was one of those James Heron stories where Yosef actually imagined 
taking off the jar and then she immediately like disintegrated him or something like that remember Mm. on the battleship captain hyder talks to kate and he thanks her for loaning him liz and johan that's a pretty big get right there you know i was like holy shit dude He mentions the steam-powered robot's weapon. We saw it in that last issue, destroy that octopus whale claw monster thing. Kate says, your success is our success, which in the end makes it everyone's success. But this is kind of like, she's starting to get that kind of Uh one-mindedness. You know, I mean, as much as we all love Kate, like, you know, she's foregoing... The sedatives for O'Donnell. She's letting Panya get into Phoenix's mind yeah. and all this kind of stuff. She's starting to kind of yeah. turn a little bit too, which I think is. But interesting. she's trying yeah. to get it. Do- she's like, look, we don't have yeah time to fucking consider this. I know that it sucks, and I'm being kind of a dick, but at the same time, this is literally the end of the fucking world. Right. Yeah. So I feel like I, she she's got the big picture in mind. Yeah. Right. That's kind of like it's kind of like yeah. you know under other circumstances. Yeah. Maybe of course I would be thinking of this, but like honestly, you know. So that's it's interesting to to see her make that transition. Something just occurred to me. I hate doing this sometimes where I gotta like go back a page, but no, yeah, it's okay. But Panya says to kate when they're in the uh, hospital room with phoenix but he doesn't know it meaning the black flame he's reaching out extending himself across the globe building a network of power so look at it like this this is landis pope and he started out when we first met him performing a hostile takeover and then he tried to buy out essentially tried to buy out the king of fear oh yeah right and now he's he's moved on to a global takeover Right. Or network. And so he's still just a crummy CEO (laughs) and he doesn't know how else to operate. Right. He's going back to that stupid CEO rule book of trying to be the all powerful. Right. Anyway, it just occurred to me for the first time reading this. Right. So there's all this cosmic black flame stuff going on, but he filters it through like some guy with a business degree or something like that (laughs) i am the internet yeah i'm the hub you need me if you want to talk right right? yeah see the and the whole time all this is going on i'm wondering what fucking ted howards is up to still right (laughs) go back with captain hyder and kate we also get some exposition on what their plan is through their conversation there's a connection between the andre jihad in kansas and the black flame in manhattan that connection benefits both just like matt was talking about like symbiotes <laughs> there is no way i'm gonna say that word say and it. Say it say it captain hyder is game to take on the black flame if it hurts the kansas monster great he's taking things one mission at a time though he tells kate one mission is plenty captain hyder kate responds what about the symbiotes <laughs> <laughs> Over in the Victorian submarine, we have Liz, McWerther, and Johan. And for all the seriousness, awesome. there is something so comical about so seeing them goofy. together. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> McWerther was really hoping to see Langdon again, 
Really? After he killed all your bodies and blew up all your friends, you're really hoping to see like it, it makes me think of like <laughs> there you, you always have one guy that he thinks he's your friend, but he's not really your friend. He just bothers you a lot. You know, Aww, you've ever had someone no. like that? I feel like McWerther <laughs> is like that with with Abe. He's Aww. like, "Oh, remember we're friends." And Abe is like, "I don't <laughs> What else do I have to do to show you that I don't want to hang out with you?" McWerther's like, "I really wish that I could see him again." I just Jeez. thought that was so funny. I think he wanted to see the fish man. Yeah. yeah. And he's evolved, which would have been kind of interesting. Yeah, but... it would have been a little, yeah. yeah. Although I think if Abe saw him, oh. he would pull out a cane and smash the little glass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I also think McWord is living in the past a bit. I mean, he's been alone for, for many years just at this point. And I'm guessing his head is just back in the 19th century. Sure. With the right. good old days yeah. past time. You're right. And Johan says just that, like Aubrey said, he said, Abe isn't at the Bureau at present, but he read the report from Indonesia and doesn't know if Abe would want to see him. And if the Navy knew about all his backstory, they might be suspicious. McWerther wonders if Johan and Liz are there as chaperones or a contingency plan. Some jobs are too big for one person, Liz says. For instance, cleaning out this old wreck seems more than you can handle alone. Reeks in here. <laughs> Damn. Yuck. Harsh. Ah, sense and odors, Miss Sherman. Only memories to me. Will you forgive the inconvenience they present you? No problem, Liz says. I always carry a pack of deodorizers with me as she lights up a cigarette. Those God. are her deodorizers. <laughs> I don't think so. That's just going to make it worse. And Johan says he hopes McWerther is being earnest. They've experienced setbacks in Kansas, and we see where they fell trying to fight the Ogdra Jihad. McWerther knows about the events in Kansas, and he says once he's done here, he'll configure his cannon to take out the Ogdra Jihad. Okay. You're a cocky bastard, aren't you, Liz ass? <laughs> Well, and you think about it, she just got her ass beat by that thing. Yeah, man. And so yeah. he's so this guy's like, oh, well, once I'm finished with this, I'll go take out that. Like he's getting the fucking groceries. Right. May we pursue that thought in a moment? McWerther asks about her calling him a cocky bastard. Presently, it seems we have trouble, but only a spot of it, I'm quite sure. <laughs> We see this enormous monster coming up. I love the design oh, of this thing. It's like the size of its mouth is as big as the entire submarine that they're Ugh. in. And so this thing looks terrifying as it's going to come up and get them. But then McWerther shoots the cannon and we see it totally get disintegrated in that cosmic fire. She's a little salty about it. Yeah. Which is surprising. <laughs> like You would think she'd be like... Fuck yes, holy shit, we can finally take yeah. this thing out. Oh my god. But she's like, yeah, it's not so good. All right, whatever. You, <laughs> you still suck. You're still an arrogant punk, she says. Jeez. Yeah, I love Liz. Yeah, but we get back to these, like, the spirits, the ghosts. Right, and well, and McWerther throws a little thing there. He says, my weapon does not rely merely on pyrotechnics. Because he's trying to throw some shade at Liz Taking there. a shot at her. He says, it's a power more profound. Holy smokes. That's what <laughs> Johan says. Or that's what that translates into, at least according to Google Translate. Okay. Johan says, there are spirits out there, dozens. G -g -g ghosts Closer to hundreds, I've no doubt, McWerther says. Who are they? Where are they from? Johan asks. 
Those poor wretched souls are no less than the world's salvation, McWerther says. They are the source of my certainty. They are my weapon. Thousands of souls literally fueling a machine that has become terrifying to the most terrifying of creatures. The poetry of it is impossible not to celebrate. I marshal the forces of the dead to do battle against the very beasts who have brought about their end. Damn, that's fucking wild. <laughs> And so we see the Victorian submarine there, and there's like a satellite dish coming out of the bottom of it, and we see a light also. Incredible power and abundance taken from where no one else would seek it. And Johan looks at the spirits coming up out of the ground, and they're all like screaming, and they look like they're in agony. They're in pain, Johan says. It's not as if they volunteered, is it, Liz asks. I mean, how do you collect all these ghosts, these souls, your fuel? The least of my challenges, McWerther says. I've already designed <laughs> and built a soul beacon some time ago. Mr. Krauss, you may have read about it. And so, yeah, I remember back in Garden of Souls, their plan was that they were going to cause this giant like tsunami or something, and then all the people that were killed were all going to be transferred to this soul beacon, Ugh, and then they were going to oh, be man. in those giant bodies, and they were going to become these giant Jeez. buff beefcake monsters. That were fueled by <laughs> souls. There you go, yeah. So that's a nice little callback to that story. So he still has that soul beacon, and he's using it now to suck up all these souls to use as his weapon. It's such a shame, too, because even in in hell, like in a recent Hellboy in Hell, when the soul leaves the body, it's like a, a bird or right. like a dove made of light. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that's such a beautiful thing to see, right? And yeah. it's like, oh, wow, it even happened to a soul in hell. But here it's just like terrible terrible it's like they're right. hooked to umbilical cords or something right? right yeah like some sort of like terrible ropes <clears throat> yanking them around it's just horrible we see the submarine come up out of the water and they're in new york so mcwerther got them where they needed to be the the trope of seeing the statue of liberty while the apocalypse is going on Right. I'm just, uh, it warms my heart to see that that <laughs> continues here. But I will say that they did buck the trend by not having it all collapsed and all. Right. Oh, right, right. You know what I mean? right yeah. So. Set and setting. Over at the BPRD headquarters, O'Donnell is finally asleep. Aww. Devon and Doris stand over him, and Doris thanks Devon. Don't thank me, Devon says. Dr. Corrigan got her information from somewhere else. And we know that that was from Panya. So now they can sedate O'Donnell. But she was actually thanking him for coming to check on him because nobody else does. Wow. Way to make me feel like crap, Doctor, because that's not why I'm here, Devon I'd says. be down there every day. I'd be down there, man. I'd be hanging with him. That was one of the lines. You know, Devon, for all you know, for all that they've built him up to be, he's to, he has some good lines here now yeah. and then. And I, that was one that made me laugh when I was reading it. He's actually there because he can't sleep either. If Doris can put this lunatic under, so he's trying to get so some medicine mean. or whatever, right? Yeah. Call him names and shit. <laughs> Over with Panya, she gets pissed that she has to leave the room while the nursing staff come to clean up Phoenix. I'm still <laughs> monitoring her. This is a bureau business. She's yeah. like, she's like, you know, she's not going without a fight. Right. 
Pish. Mm. If I'm going to be banished, I won't hang about. Come get me in my quarters when you're finished. And they're like, um, could you take this dog with you? Oh, I'm afraid not, dear, Panya says. He won't leave young Phoenix's side for even a moment, you see. And I wouldn't try to persuade him to do so were I you. And Bruiser growls at the nurses. Yeah. <laughs> Good boy. I love how much um, she's evolved as a character, especially in that relationship with Phoenix, how she's kind of taken on this um, protective bit. It's great, right, yeah. yeah. And I love how it continues out of the room. She still keeps talking shit, and she's like, <laughs> Devin's like, what is this all about? This gentleman should be willing to explain is as much as I can't imagine what other function he might serve. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the degree of dis- shit. The degree of disrespect I endure among this society is, and then she looks over, and is this pinned to her door? Yeah. Yeah. And her reaction yeah. is, now what? Yeah. Which I love. <laughs> and she opens up the paper, and this is... We we realize very quickly that this is the paper that Howard's was scribbling on yes. with his die. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get Howard's and Panya. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Fucking this is the this is this is the content that I <laughs> desire. Over in New York, the ships approach the city, but there's this huge Ogdraham creature nearby. Lizzie Johan and McWorther talk. Johan says McWorther will take out the threats along the river's edge. They'll strike where his weapon can't reach. Or handle the black flame if he shows up, Liz asks. So this is the team effort you brought up in discussion earlier, McWorther says. There is some prudence in it, I confess. And we get some amazing art here as McWorther blasts away at this monster. Lawrence Campbell is just rocking yeah, these issues. Oh, oh my yeah. god. Yeah. yeah. That Kirby crackle. Oh, yeah. Really, I love the effect of this mm. gun that he has. I just want to point out, it's not just Kirby Crackle in in terms of uh, visual, it's also in terms of sound. Yeah. 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 I was about to bring that up. And I like how McWarther's all ready to go on in. He says he can probably take on their black flame as well. Just keep your eyes on the road, clanky, Liz responds. Uh, I also like that black flame is in quotes here. Yeah. I just wanted to punch him when he said that because I'm just like, you arrogant prick. That's good, though. I love him. So, again, after he uses the cannon, Johan observes the spirits used. And so it made me think about this because he's a spirit. And he has a connection to spirits. And so he's seen this and he can't just let it go. Yeah, he's he's that's his whole deal is that he can, you know, communicate with freaking ghosts and stuff. And so he's like, man, this is this is not cool. Yeah. Look at them. They're suffering, he says. I see it, but I can't feel it. And Liz is like, I don't understand. I've seen you channel spirits before. Not anymore, Johan says. My containment in this armor is permanent. It was a trade-off I was willing to make. Mastery of real energy for the loss of my agency as a medium. Now I half regret it because I fear your weapon is the source of their pain, he tells McWorther. And if it is, McWorther responds, worry less about the dead, Herr Krauss. The living have a greater need. Jeez. Yeah, and so I like that detail, too, of, you know, we're we're being told that Johan can no longer let the ectoplasm out. Right. It's it's in there permanently, you know, and he traded that to have the Vril energy. So I I just like that they explain that little bit. When he says mastery of Vril energy, I think he means mastering because he has not mastered no mm. 
remember he was getting exhausted. Like, I think there are yeah. limits that you have to learn to bend or deal with. Right, like Liz has mm. right. honed her abilities over time. It's so bizarre because there's like, they're talking around particular uh, things that we just, we haven't gotten yet. You know, like, yeah. you're going to get to a certain point, like, many arcs down the road, we'll have a better understanding of why Liz is able to do this and he can't. Yeah. And it's it's just frustrating to kind of be in this position where it's like, oh, yeah, they knew all along, they're just not telling us. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Is it frustrating to listen to me be like, oh, look at that. Here, I wonder what's going to happen. And you're like, oh, if only you knew. No, quite the opposite. Yeah, I think they're just grinning yeah, really wide. Well. Just because it makes you appreciate how well it's written. Yeah, it's it's neat when someone's reaction, it makes me think that's exactly how I reacted. Yeah. Aww. Or that's exactly what I was thinking in that moment. Right? And it's like, a it book still club. Works. Friendship. Yeah. Right? yeah. And a book club. <laughs> Suddenly, a horde of hammerheads charge at the ships. They call for McWhorter to use the cannon. A waste of my energies, McWhorter says. Such menaces are susceptible to conventional means. And the battleships blow them away. It's like, just use your regular ordinance yeah. on this. Just, I'm not going to waste this shit. This is for the big... The big shit. Right. Yeah. And the captain calls for boots on the ground in 10 minutes. They finally got to New York. And so McWhorter, he boasts his success. And he hopes he's thanked later. God. Johan says, McWhorter's not done yet. They need more victories. What the devil? McWhorter says, the sky turns black. <sighs> boom, boom. Such a scary effect as these black, yeah. huge black lightning bolts come down from the sky and they break McWhorter's submarine and they break the battleship. Dave Stewart, this black lightning oh, effect man. always blows me away when they show this black... I've never really seen that in comics. Yeah, like, it's I don't know. Really it's scary. It's, it's, it's hard to describe. I don't know that I've ever seen someone use black like this. Yeah. The way that Dave right. Stewart Agree. uses it for the black flame. I just think it, it's really it, amazing. It feels dead. Yeah. That's yeah, horrible. Like there's like it is dead, right? That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Like nothing. Boom. Mm. But it's so powerful. When they use that like you know, like that black lightning, like what I love about it is they it's difficult to use because I mean you can you imagine it? Like you've got a series with heavy black shadows already. Yeah. And then you need to have something that's clearly happening in the foreground pop off a background that's mostly dark, you know. Yeah. And instead of cheating it and, and going with like a dark blue or something like that, they embrace it. They go full black. And I love the way it reads almost like a hole is being torn in the in Void, your vision. Yeah. You know? like it's just Um I remember there was a an art exhibit in um Brisbane at one point. And it was basically this um, ball that had been painted uh, with a material that completely absorbs light. Oh, yeah. And oh, it just looks like someone has cut a hole in your vision. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it is just pure absence. And that's what I imagine the black flame is like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I've, I've heard about that. Uh, it's like that... Uh, Anish that... Kapoor, motherfucker. <laughs> well, somebody made one that you can actually buy. I've got it. Yeah, awesome. Danielle yeah. actually has some. Oh, awesome. But, uh, yeah. oh, man, I want to see some. I've always wanted to see like a ball, like, in that stuff yeah. yeah the guy that made it is actually pretty cool he's like fucking ish kapoor i'm gonna fucking develop my own shit and he's been developing yeah. he had the first version second. he's on the third version of it and it's really fucking yeah, good. yeah it's really cool it's awesome yeah. yeah anyway the captain calls for the mark sixes boom another giant lightning bolt comes down and then again this panel where lawrence campbell pans out Avoid and bolts. we just 
we just see the three ships just smoking there in the water. That's like that middle panel, even though there's no real action, that is like one of the most yeah. affecting panels the to me. The despair that you feel exactly. when you see that. There's something about that pacing. We see Liz coughing on the dock. She looks up, her face all battered. Man. As iron is melted in the furnace, so shall you melt. I will pour my fury upon you. Why, daughter? Why did you come back? Jeez. And we see the black flame flying down, lightning shooting out of his eyes. Amazing panel by Lawrence Campbell. I love that reveal. The buffest of flames. The buffest of flames, yeah. <laughs> did he call her daughter in Reign of the Black Flame? I don't think so. Is this a, yeah. I noticed that too. That What a, this is a new interesting detail. Yeah. yeah, he's calling her daughter. Yeah, so what does that mean? What What, what are your thoughts on that? It's sort of, you know, remember you were talking about that, uh, like Matt was talking about the CEO thing. I feel like there's this like horrible paternalistic thing that's coming out here. There's something creepy about him calling her daughter so much. I hate it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a sexist pig. That's all he is. And he's so pompous. Like the guy rarely opens his mouth without spouting some sort of BS like this. Right, right. Mm. It's so demeaning to call her daughter. Gross. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's, like, using the term daughter the way we are. It's more just, like, he's expressing, like, um, the power difference that he perceives. Mm. You know, like, his is the greater fatherly power. Hers is a minor thing that's just seeded off of his power. Like, that kind of thing. Sure, right, yeah. Right. It's like, he's the black flame and she's just a regular flame or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to point out this little detail. Her hair. I don't know why I kept looking at that. Yeah. On that panel right there. Just the way Lawrence Campbell did that and the way Dave Stewart colored it. It's just... um. Well, because you're looking at light coming through yeah. wet, wet hair. And yeah. that is... I mean, I can't imagine that would be really difficult just to Just something paint. like yeah. that is... I, I get stuck on some of those yeah. things. That The art is so beautiful in this series. All right. And so we're going to leave off here. And we'll be back next week to continue our discussion on End of Days. And I'm so glad that we could finally get Matt and Mark on for this episode. Yeah. And so this is so amazing. It's been a it's been a long how many episodes in the making? <laughs> like eighty something episodes, you know, to finally get both of y'all on here. So uh, thank you guys so much for your time. And maybe we'll hear from you guys again on our next episode, <laughs> right? Yeah. I assume so. <laughs> All right. So we'll be back with another great episode next week and we'll continue this amazing story. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. We left you on a cliffhanger, but you know, you know what to do. Go ahead and send us a Hey You Damn Guys at Hellboy Book Club at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link, the reading order, Adam Hicks Chronology, and Ryan Yule's amazing art collection also on our Facebook About section. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Garterhan for the amazing theme music. We yeah. love it. Also, Mark, thank you for the help with the reading order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks, John, for doing all the editing. You make us sound wonderful. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we are continuing End of Days. So... Don't put away those back issues, trades, or omnibuses yet, because we're not done. And we're also going to read Kill the Black Flame. Kill the Black Flame. Awesome. I can't wait. Kill the Black Flame. (laughs) Join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. 
I'm Danielle. I'm Matt Trackbind. <laughs> I'm Mark Tweedell. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, they are 7.01. Hello. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Terrible.